As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Hockey Show. Welcome to the Athletic Hockey Show. It is Wednesday. I'm Julian McKenzie. Ian Mendez is not here because he's tapped out, man. All that frozen frenzy stuff from yesterday. He watched too much hockey. So he's not here. So Mark Lazarus, who covers the Chicago Blackhawks for us here at the Athletic, is here. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to hang out with me for the next hour. Uh, there's literally nothing I'd rather do with my life, Julian. Oh, wow. That's you don't have to lie like that. <laughs> did, did you watch? Uh, you, were, you were at a game last night, obviously, right? I was, yes. See, I'm one of the people. I, I got to stay home. I wasn't feeling that great last night, and I got a partner on the beat, so Scott Powers handled the game. So I actually got to watch the Frozen Frenzy. And I love oh, that. I love the idea of it, right? Like, I, I watch yeah. NFL Red Zone for seven hours of uninterrupted football. You know, I love it. Love NFL Red Zone. It, it doesn't work. Like, I, I appreciate it, and I liked it, but it doesn't really work in hockey, right? Because scoring is so spontaneous. So what they were doing is they were waiting till the team scored and then going to that game on a very slight tape delay. And then sometimes the scroll, the, the scroll would be on the bottom of the screen and it would tell you who scored before they even showed you who scored. And I, I think there's some kinks to work out is all I'm saying. There's some spoilers in there. I have a ton of questions of that. I should mention off top here. Uh, great show for us today. A couple different topics we're going get to get into with regards to some of the undefeated teams still out there. Uh, we're going to have Down Goes Brown, Sean McIndoe joining us at uh, 45, at 245 Eastern, and Rick Carpinello, uh, Rangers fans uh, who remember him uh, covering the team for The Athletic. Uh, he will join us uh, later on the show to talk about his new book, The Franchise, New York Rangers, A Curated History of the Blue Shirts. I'm sure that's going to be an enthralling discussion, but I have a ton of questions. Wait, wait, wait. This, about this, 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 this is why you're the professional podcast host and I'm the occasional fill-in. 
Because yeah. I just dive right in. I don't do all the programming reminders and all the things at the top of the show. This is why yeah. my the podcast Scott Powers and I do is just total haphazard. I have no professionalism <laughs> whatsoever when it comes to this. That's okay. Don't worry. <laughs> I, that's why I got to drive. When I have the opportunity to drive the bus, I drive the bus. It's okay. <laughs> Nothing usually breaks whatever you and I do these shows. So don't worry about it. I got you. Um, I have a ton of questions about Frozen Frenzy because not only was I at a game yesterday, but Frozen Frenzy has been billed as this pure American thing where <laughs> if you're watching on ESPN, that's the best chance where you're going to see this. I saw people, at least in, in my neck of the woods in Canada, like tweeting out wondering where they could watch this. And if they weren't doing that, they were all wondering why their game started at such a weird time. There are people in Calgary <laughs> asking, why is this game starting at 745? And yesterday I went through a whole list of, of issues for for some Flames fans in terms of them getting to the arena. And I think there was, and there were some empty seats uh, in, in the arena yesterday. There was a lot worse out in Winnipeg last I checked. We could get to that, but I would love to know uh, more about why it just didn't work in terms of the games that they were showing and, and the scores. And, and you mentioned the, the, the score crawl as well. Like, Please tell me as a as a as a well, it, 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 it's just stuff. I need to know. You, you, you know when you watch NFL Red Zone, they have NFL Red Zone in Canada. Yes, 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 yes. You can yeah, watch NFL you, Red Zone. When you on watch TV. that, you know when a team gets inside the twenty yard line, they switch to that game because they're about someone's about to score. Hockey mm-hmm. doesn't work that way. Like maybe if there's a power play, you can skip to it. If there's a penalty shot, if there's overtime, sure. But generally speaking, hockey goals are not predictable, so you can't just prepare for it. So everything was on every time they switch to a game. Like, oh, someone's about to score. I know someone's about to score in the next 20 seconds. It kind of took some of the spontaneity out of the game a little bit when you know, oh, if they're showing this terrible game that's like seven to one. That means, you know, the Wild must have scored again and then it's just another goal. So it takes a little bit out of that. I I, I thought they did a pretty good job, all, all, all things considered. You know, they had fun with it and, uh, you know, ESPN has its personalities and they did good. I, it bothered me a little bit. I was watching after the Blackhawks game ended because I was focusing on that. Mm-hmm. I was really tuning into the Frozen Frenzy and like, it was like a 20 minute segment on chicken parm. They were cooking chicken parm because it's bucci gras, which I love chicken parm. It's nature's perfect food. I get it. I love chicken parm as much as anybody. But like there were like four hockey games happening while they were talking about the chicken parm. And I would have rather been watching the hockey games. That was the point. I didn't need a cooking segment. I mean, maybe I'm just an old person who gets crotchy. I don't have a problem. The segment was funny. I like those guys. I just I wanted to watch hockey. Right. That was the point. Well, I mean, chicken parm is a staple for hockey players as a pregame meal. Yeah. I mean, 20 minutes on a segment might be a bit excessive. I know you're probably fudging I, the numbers I, I, I a little bit. I might be hyperbolizing a little bit, but they, a little they, bit. they were like, it was like PK Subban and, and Bucci and, you know, they're like literally like handing out chicken cutlets and stuff. And it's like, there's four games on right now. <laughs> Put the game on, what man. What were the four games on? Because if you don't have one of those blue bloods, then maybe they feel oh, it, it was, it was later in the night. So it was the West Coast teams nobody cares about, right? Whoa, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, the Rangers were among those teams playing late against the Calgary Flames. So you would have thought that they would have spent all that time. Talking. All games to watch that I would have liked to have been able to see because, I mean, I, sh- I have ESPN Plus. I could have just flipped to that, I suppose. Maybe that's their argument is if you really want to see the game. But it was advertised as a hockey watching event. And it felt like sometimes it was like, like that segment would have been fun on a pregame show or like yeah. on ESPN's The Point. Like they have shows for stuff like that. This was supposed to be, if it's supposed to be red zone, it's supposed to be nonstop wall to wall hockey watching. Very so I, for, for the first time doing it, they, I thought they did a good job. I liked it. I want, I want more of it. I would watch that show, even if there wasn't 32 teams playing at once. Like if, 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 the, uh, if a team I really cared about wasn't on, 
I would watch the shit out of that show. So I hope that they learned that positive lesson from. Them. I thought they did a, a mostly good job, but there's it's it's a little more difficult in hockey than it is in football because it's just the unpredictable nature of it. The one last thing I'll ask about it is how do you feel about the fact that it went head to head against game seven of the NLCS between Arizona and Philadelphia and the opening night of the NBA season where you have two marquee matchups with the Lakers and Nuggets and the Suns and the Warriors? It's it's fall, man. It's if 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 you go on the weekend, it's going up against college football or NFL. Like there's no good time to do it, right? And baseball is not a concern. Like, if you look at baseball's numbers, that's not siphoning off too much numbers. And it's hockey. It's hockey in, in the United States. You're not going to get a monster number. The people that want to watch it are going to watch it. You know, they made such a huge deal about like opening night in Pittsburgh, you know, Crosby versus Bedard. They were like, this is the biggest number. It was 1.4 million people in a country of 330 million. It's not a big number. Hockey's just in this country is not going to get monster numbers. So I, that it's kind of hockey people get so worked up about the ratings, right? And they yeah. get so like all the neighbors. Who cares? Does it matter to you? Does your life change if more people watch the game? It doesn't matter to me. Like it matters to the ESPN executives, the TNT executives, but like it doesn't affect my enjoyment of the game at all. The people that watch are going to watch. And if you get a few more casuals, great. I want more people to uh, get, get into hockey as possible. But if you want to watch baseball, go watch baseball. I had a second screening just because I hate the Phillies. And you know, I just wanted to make sure that they didn't win because as a native New Yorker, just uh, right. vomiting in my mouth, the thought of the Phillies winning a World Series. So, um, you know, you, you pick what you want to watch and everyone, so everyone does multiple screens these days. You know, you watch a hockey game on one. You know, for yesterday I had I had the, the Blackhawks on my main TV. I had the Frozen Frenzy, Frozen Frenzy on my computer and yeah. I had baseball on my phone. Like, welcome to 2023. It's fucking great. It is pretty great to have all those multiple screens. The one thing I'll say about about the amount of people who watch, I mean, I can understand that, you know, maybe we do spend a lot of time on on the ratings and how many people tune into games. And I mean, like, it's still a big number for ESPN with hockey, right? It was the most yeah, no. like, watched like regular season game ever. But also, like, I mean, as someone covering the league, covering teams, and I'm sure you feel this too, like any positive boom in terms of interest, there's a trickle down effect that ultimately benefits all of us in the grand scheme of things. Sure, but I mean, it's just, you know, you want as many, of course, I want as many people to watch the games as possible. I want as many people Absolutely. to read my stories as possible. Sure, that's a good thing. I'm glad that ESPN's getting the biggest ratings it's ever had for hockey. I'm just saying the numbers are underwhelming in the grand scheme of things. These are, these are you know, Division two college football numbers. These are random, you know, uh, college World Series of softball numbers. Like those literally softball numbers get better ratings than hockey does sometimes on these channels. And if you ever watch it, it's good. I like watching college softball. They're, they're competitive and it's good and the games move quick. But I, I, you're never going to get NFL numbers out of the NHL. And we have to just accept that and realize that. I mean, yes, more people watching means in theory, higher revenues down the, down the road the next time you negotiate a TV contract. But mm -hmm. the TV contract in hockey is never going to be what it is in the NFL, never going to be what it is in the NBA. And I just wish people would accept it to some degree and just, you know, 1.4 million. Great. That's more people than usual. But the fact that 600,000 people are watching some of these games sometimes, just so what? I'm one of them. Let me watch the game. I like it. Okay. All right. You well said. Uh, let's move on to uh, three undefeated teams in the NHL as of right now. The Vegas Golden Knights. And they all play the Blackhawks all the time. That's very, <laughs> that's very fair. Jeez, Connor, tell you, Connor Bedard, and I've said this on different platforms before, but like a start to the year where you were having to match up against like Vegas as your home opener, Boston. He's played Boston twice. 
Colorado's they got Vegas, they got Vegas for a second time on Friday in Vegas. Yep. They've already played Colorado. They had Man. Toronto already. They had Pittsburgh yes. already. They got, in there too. Uh, yeah, they got Florida twice and Tampa twice coming up. I mean, I, I counted there were two games before American Thanksgiving. Like I threw that in there for you that it was American Thanksgiving. Two games like, against teams that are not like playoff locks almost. You got a game against uh um I think it's Columbus and you got Arizona on Monday, but I have Arizona making the playoffs. I don't think that's quite and playing in mullet's never easy. So like this, I've never seen it's it's hilarious this schedule. Like it's so mean and so hard and so counter to what the NHL should be doing, which is you know spotlighting Bedard in a positive way. They just took away a goal from him yesterday because he was oh, a quarter of a millimeter offside. Like it's just I I, I it just cracks me up how 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 ridiculous and and, and poorly planned this is. I'm not well, saying you got to set it up so that he succeeds, but really setting him up to fail seems like not the brightest idea. Well, thanks to to Chicago being put on their schedules, the Golden Knights, the Bruins, and the Avalanche, who did beat other teams, <laughs> are still undefeated. Is there a team in that uh, that trio I just mentioned there that you're both surprised to see, to see still undefeated? Let's see if it's the same team that you have it that that you have that I have in my head. It's Boston, right? Yep, it is Boston. I mean, we all thought there'd be some regression. I mean, you lose Bergeron, and he's the linchpin of everything, you think. But uh, And you lose Krejci, too. And, and then they're just rolling along. It's, it's such a team unit they have. They just play so well, and they play so smart, and they're so well coached by Montgomery and everything. Uh, mm-hmm. And they just haven't missed a beat. Like, I thought – I didn't think they would miss the playoffs. I thought that was a little, you know, hyperbolic when some people were saying they would miss the playoffs in the East this year. But I certainly didn't expect them to be – one of the best teams in the league again. And here they are. Yeah. I don't know. I got just the fact that the Boston was such a, a difficult team to predict. And DGB had a piece a couple days ago, basically where he was able to outline the fact that no, I think he got, I forget the, the title of the piece, but it was one of those pieces where he gets all the fans involved and all that. And trying to get everyone to predict what the season's going to be like. And nobody wanted to touch Boston in terms of their own predictions. And they're just too difficult to call, right? They had the best, people forget, they had the best regular season of any team in the NHL last year, of any team ever, ever. And they still fall out of the first round against a journeyman Florida Florida, Florida Panthers team that goes all the way to the Stanley Cup final only to lose to Vegas, but still. Just like baseball this year, right? You had 300 win teams. They all lost in the first round and you got an 84 win team in the World Series. It's sports, baby. That's crazy, man. Like, I don't know. I know people like to hate on the fact that, you know, you don't want teams that just try to get in for the sake of playoff revenue. You want to build contending teams and all that. And I'm all for that. But when you see teams like Florida find a way to make it to the Stanley Cup final and and baseball right now, we literally have two teams who had had losing seasons for the last time of years. The Rangers were like coming off like back to back like 100 lost seasons or at least one of the last two years. They had 100 lost seasons and they're both in the championship game like. (laughs) <laughs> we're not going to see the end of it for, for teams saying, Hey man, you get into the dance, you have a chance. Like it's, that's, it's that's just wild point, how right? it is. It is. Well, that's what, like, I, I think back to when, you know, I covered the Blackhawks when they were good too. And you know, they would coast through the regular season and we'd ask them things like, don't you care about seeding? And they'd be like, no, no. not at all. It doesn't matter to us. If we're the six seed or we're the one seed, we're going to win the Stanley cup. Like none of this shit matters. Home ice advantage. is a myth, you know, doesn't matter. We're going to be fine. And, and that's, that's the, that's the attitude of a lot of teams is just get in and history bears it out. I mean, the Kings were the eight seed in 2012. They go and they basically sweep their way to the Stanley cup, just get in. And some teams know that they're built for the playoffs, right? 
they're built for that style. So they really just want to get in because then they can dial it up and play that way. Absolutely. Uh, I believe we have uh, Sean McIndoe, a.k.a. Down Goes Brown. Uh, never heard of him. You're available with us. Yeah, never heard of him for sure. Hi, Sean. Uh, <laughs> hey, guys. <laughs> Ian, is that a new haircut or what? There's something. <laughs> I think it's the glasses. Very careful about who you're identifying as Ian in this situation, Sean okay. McIndoe. Yeah. Uh, one, of our, one of our best and brightest here at The Athletic. Thank you so much for tapping in with us. Um I, I know I know frozen frenzy is not like a was a thing. It was not a thing for us us Canadians. I was just curious about your opinion on the fact that uh, the NHL tried to make this work before we get to some of the other topics we have slated for you. I, I give them credit. They tried, and, and I couldn't tell you how good it was because you know you and I didn't didn't get to see it. I saw a little bit of it because I was watching. It was a Chicago game actually. Uh, it, it, it it came on our channel a half an hour early on the uh, center ice. And they were picking up the ESPN feed. So I saw a little bit. It, it was okay. I, I am, as people who uh, who have heard me maybe on other shows know, I think NFL Red Zone is the greatest thing in the history of television. It, it's be- better I'm than Seinfeld, you. better than MASH. NFL Red Zone is, is my favorite thing, maybe on the planet, um, <laughs> other than like maybe one of my kids. <laughs> Other than that, I love NFL Red Zone. So if, if the NHL could ever get anywhere close to that, and from what I've heard, last night was kind of, you know, maybe a bit uneven, maybe, you know, maybe still some kinks to work out, but that's okay because it was the first time that ESPN has tried this. Uh, and, you know, uh, like the the other story this week that's uh, we've sort of seen with the, the new stats website, it's yes. not perfect yet. In fact, I saw Dom had a thing, 25 improvements they need to make. Okay, but they're trying something. Yeah. You know, I don't mind if they try something and the first time it's it's not great. I mean, 20 years ago, they did the first outdoor game. It wasn't yeah. perfect, but, you know, a lot of us looked at it and went, okay, there's something here that they could maybe do something with uh, as far as doing these games in the regular season. And here we are 20 years later. And I mean, it's it's gone from something they were trying to something that was really cool to something that was kind of overdone and we're sick of. And, you know, maybe we cycle through again. But I don't I don't need perfection when the NHL tries something new. Uh, I just need them to to show some willingness to try, show some, you know, a, a little bit of uh, potential and and then stick with it. And as long as they do that, I'm I'm happy. I'm not going to yeah, them. We shouldn't have to wait for all 32 teams to be playing to do this, right? Most Saturdays are yep. busy enough. Let's do this. And yeah. if it gives them an Take excuse to stagger the starts, for God's yeah. sake, let's stagger the starts. Because there's nothing more frustrating when you have a great slate of games and they all start at the same time. So when the game you're watching goes to first intermission, so is every other goddamn game. It's like, yeah. no, I, this is start stagger the starts. Let's have more 15 and 45 uh, minute after exactly. the hour starts. And, let's and, do this. and you know what? You, you do it more often. You know, if you do it on the nights, we've only got one other night this year with every team playing, but you're right. There's lots of nights where there's 13, 14, 15 yeah. games. I mean, you're, Make it you're just part of the ESPN plus package. Just have a, have a, a team. Of, it, it, it doesn't cost ESPN's got all the money, Disney money. They got all the money in the world. Yeah. Throw a couple of people in there. Give a, give, give them a chance. Like Scott Hansen, the, the red zone guy. I never heard of him before this. Now he's like a member of my family. So like give give it a give it get a chance to get some young people in there, new stars to come in, and you can mint yep. some new stars in the hockey and, world by by letting them anchor this. And if you do a whole host bunch it. of that, I, I will tell you right now, if if ESPN or some outlet came up to me and said, We want you to host this thing as a fan of Scott Hansen, myself, and FL Red Zone, I would do it. 
Julian McKenzie out yeah. here wearing an athletic hoodie on the athletic hockey show is outwardly lobbying for a job with another company. Yeah. I don't believe this. But I mean, you got to get you got to get to the Scott. Hansen get paid, like, bro. That's, <laughs> that's tough. But the more they do it, the better they'll get at it. They'll find that. Like, I don't I, I NFL Red Zone has been great as long as I remember watching it. But I wasn't there at the beginning. I'm sure the first well, season. Well, we talked about this a little probably, earlier. Yeah. I mean, football yeah. is better designed for this because, you know, mm-hmm. as they approach the Red Zone, they have a higher likelihood of scoring. But see, that's the secret is the NFL Red Zone doesn't do that. People think NFL Red Zone is just whatever game is in the red zone we go to. And so people say, well, I don't know, what's the hockey equivalent of that? Is it just, you know, whoever's on the power play, whoever's mm-hmm. this or that? The secret to red zone is it's like watching a highlight show in real time, but you don't know what the highlight's going to be. That's the key. They never say, uh, we're going to go to Pittsburgh because the Steelers just scored a touchdown. No. They just say, we're going to Pittsburgh. And you know something's about to happen, but you don't know what it's going to be or, you know, whatever it is. And you go and and sometimes they'll say, hey, we're going to, you know, we're going live to the Bears game. And that's sort of their way of telling you, hey, who knows? Maybe you'll see something cool. Maybe you won't. But for the most part, it's jumping back and forth. And that's what the hockey can be, right? Because there's always a goal, a save, a fight, a big hit, something. You just need to have people keeping track of everything that's happening. And then they say, okay, something cool happened in Chicago. Right. Rewind. Let's show it. And boom, there you go. Connor Bedard scored. Hey, what a great moment on the biggest night of the year that we're really promoting. Our future superstar is okay. I'm sorry, what? Oh, we're gonna do an eight-minute offside review. Awesome. That's fa- let's stay with that. Let's make sure we broadcast the entirety of the stupid offside rule. Well, that, that was that was that was my problem with with uh, I watched a lot of the Frozen Friends yesterday. We were talking about this was when they switched to a game, you knew a goal was about to be scored in the next 10 seconds. It was yeah. too on the nose. They didn't have enough variety in like a big save, a nice play, a mm-hmm. big hit, or just like a cool sequence of events. It was, it felt like every time they switched games, it was another goal. And I just wanted to see more than, you know, up here. It did feel like a highlight show at times. And I don't know how you'll get around that, but you need a really good production staff to stay on top of these games and, and to and, organize and you just, that better. It's, it's a, it's, it's a, I almost hate to say it, but it's a vibe you get into. Like, you know, it, yeah. it will be something. And that's why, you know, if they're going to do it twice a year, you know, if there's, we're, we're going to wait four months for the next one, it's going to be tough for the production people to to get into that. And yeah. it's, uh, you know, it, it, they'll get there eventually. Because, I mean, it's ESPN. They, you know, they they know how to make TV. Yes, so they, they will figure it out. Um, but the more, you know, the more reps they get in, the better it is. And, uh, and hey, I, I'm just going to throw this out there. It's a crazy yes. idea. Maybe we see if there's some way we can get it in Canada too. I, no, yeah, I, no, I don't know if no, you guys no, are there, Come on, there are some allowed. hockey fans up there here. There are in hockey no, fans no, no, in this no, no, country no, no, who would no, appreciate no, no, no. Frozen Frenzy. Don't do no. this, Mark. You're not allowed to have nice things. That's the rule. Okay. I think the, the problem nice is things. that they you get healthcare. We get everything else. Problem is we've got Sportsnet, <laughs> but like TSN had some of the games. So all you do is, I mean, you just you 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 just when instead when you cut to the TSN game. You just go to like, you know, it's like Julian playing NHL 94 or something with the same teams and like trying to match it or so just anything to get us away from. Are, are there the rights restrictions involved there? I, don't, I know you guys aren't TV experts, but is, are there like restrictions in the TV deals where you can show a highlight, but you can't show a live look in like I would NHL assume. Network can, but yeah. I don't know if the Canadian Sportsnet TSN Sportsnet is TSN like, like the whole Anchorman parking lot thing. Yeah, so it's, I yeah, don't think they it, would play. Right? They would play nicely together. They definitely wouldn't show like each other's like broadcast doing that, right? I guess that might yeah. be it. If anything, like if ESPN has like the the broadcast, they'd show ESPN's feed, but they I don't think they'd ever be in a situation where they would try to show what TSN is showing. 
But would they are they able to show what like a Bally Sports Network or NBC Sports Chicago, exactly. like a local mm-hmm. broadcast? It, more, it's they more have likely access you, to those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It happened. It sometimes happens too, depending on what level of package you have on Sportsnet, where you could watch like a I know for me like a Colorado Avalanche game against like Seattle or something, and they would show it on whichever corresponding yeah. network would be there. But that might it's, also depend on what level you have with Sportsnet. NHL Network's been doing this in some fashion for years now. I think it's called like on the fly. Yeah, it's on the fly. They, they, they intermingle live look-ins with highlights and analysis. And so it's kind of like a hybrid model of, mm-hmm. of the frozen frenzy. And yeah, they just would just jump into a game for like four straight minutes, which I always appreciated that back before I got yeah. YouTube TV and no longer had an NHL yeah. network. Okay, we've spent a lot of time on frozen frenzy. I do want to get to another this by the way, the conversation on frozen frenzy, by the way. Totally loving that. But I do want to ask Sean uh, about some of the teams that have started off pretty good and other teams that have not started off uh, so good. Some early season freakouts, the good and the bad going on in the league. Uh, Let's start with some of the teams that are not doing so well. Uh, Edmonton, Calgary, Buffalo, Pittsburgh, Ottawa and Ottawa, DJ Smith. I mean, a lot of people thought he'd be the first coach fired. They're starting to call for his head over there. Is it too soon to freak out about some of these teams? How do you feel about that group of teams? It's it's too soon to freak out, but it's not too soon to be concerned. Um, and, you know, especially when you look at those Canadian teams, Edmonton, obviously, it, it a mess. And, I, you know, I heard you guys before I came on talking about how, you know, it feels like home ice doesn't matter to these teams. Seating doesn't matter. Um, good thing for Edmonton. Because we're they're six games in and they're already eleven points back of Vegas. We all looked at the Pacific this year and we went two team race, man. Edmonton, Vegas, those might be the two best teams in the league, you know, and they're going to fight it out for the division. Uh, ring the bell, like that one's pretty much over already, six games in. But who cares? I mean, Edmonton, if they get into the playoffs, are going to be are going to be scary. Um, Calgary. Here's what here's what scares me with Calgary and Julian. You, you know me. this uh, obviously far better than than we do. But you looked at Calgary last year and you kind of went, "Man, what happened? How did that fall apart?" And you, you obviously you looked at the moves and you looked at Gaudreau leaving. You looked at Kachuk, but a lot of it was kind of like, "Look, man, these guys are tired of Daryl Sutter. It's it, the the Daryl Sutter Act has worn out. It works for a certain amount of time. It's done now. It, it's Daryl Sutter, and then Daryl Sutter's gone." Fresh voices, everything comes in. Okay, we're going to get the old flames back. And it's it's not happening to the point where, you know, Daryl Sutter is probably sitting back on the farm, uh, you know, checking the scores going, oh, it look, looks like old man Sutter wasn't, uh, maybe wasn't the whole problem. So so that <laughs> the key to Dorov basically said that himself yesterday. He said Daryl's yeah, not here anymore, right? He straight yeah. up said that. On the listed, record, like, it was I, I was shocked that he said that. Good for him. I'll tell you this. I was in that scrum yesterday, yesterday and like, I did, nobody in that scrum expected Nikita Zadorov to say what he was about to say. He's not one to mince words, but for him to basically say, like, last year was Daryl, now we have no excuses, that's yeah. basically him letting his intrusive thoughts win because there are so yeah. many people in this market <laughs> who have been basically saying the same thing yeah. where they're like, well, Daryl's there, the vibes are supposed to be good, I thought everyone's supposed to be winning, and then Nikita Zadorov puts it out there, and now there's no escaping it where look, already they're trying to distance themselves from last year. We're always going to think about last year with this team, especially if they're still going to be in this slump. Yeah. And then from there, you go to Ottawa, where I am. And man, what a difference two games makes. Because two games ago, yeah. they were three and one. Everyone's going, all right, here we go. You know, it's great. They're scoring and they're fun to watch. And two early season tests against 
Buffalo and Detroit, those two teams that they're going to be, it, we think, fighting for that maybe only one playoff spot that might be available and just disastrous showings on home ice. Fans are, you know, antsy. Attendance wasn't great. And the thing with Ottawa is, you know, I again, like every team, it is too early. You don't want to panic. You don't want to overreact. But the thing is, it's been years now in Ottawa where every year they win the offseason. Pierre Dorian hangs the banner that says rebuild over, you know, here we go. And then they get off to a lousy start. And next thing you know, it's November or December. And you're looking at the standings going, they're already out of it. And I mean, that's, that's lousy in a lot of ways. It makes it real hard to sell tickets in a smallish market. It makes it very hard when you've got a young roster. I mean, th- these guys haven't played. You could, you could make the case that like the Brady Kachuks and Tim Stutzels have never played a really important, meaningful NHL game. Uh, so, you, you know, you, you need that you, and going into this season, it was like, the feeling was, okay, we, yes, we want to make the playoffs. We think there's a path to that, but we've got to play meaningful hockey all year. And that means we can't have another one of these starts. And it didn't look like they were having that, but boy, you look at the the last two games, the way it's just uh, fallen off the rails. Suddenly that's back on the table. And obviously with the ownership situation and everything, uh, you figured the seats were as hot as they could get to start the season. It's not going to take very long before there's going to be big changes in Ottawa, and it might feel too early just based on the standings, but you, you got to look bigger picture. Uh, the clock is ticking big time. I feel like Ottawa was set up to fail. Like The expectations got ratcheted up so high. They lose Alex to Brinkett, and the expectations went higher. I know they had a good offseason. I know that they've been building, and they got so many great young players, but nobody in the East got worse. Yep. And meanwhile, Buffalo was convinced it was going to make the playoffs. Ottawa was convinced it's going to make the playoffs. Detroit's mm-hmm. convinced. Can't have 11 teams. Yeah. It's not going to work. And Detroit though. was the only. There's only one Islanders to fall out, right? I the mean, Red Wings they were got the, the only best goalie that, in the world. Uh, yeah. The, the Red Wings were the only ones that thought the Red Wings were going to do it. And yet they've been the best of that group <laughs> so far. Great. And meanwhile, Amazing. it you know, it, to some extent, it feels like the Islanders missed the memo that they're, you know, like, hey, you know, we're going to need you to graciously concede so that we can have this spot. <laughs> and they've looked more like a playoff team than some of these other teams have for a lot of the season. So yeah, it, there's either going to be something unexpected happening in the East with like a Tampa or whoever else that, that maybe falls out or that path to the playoffs is not going to be, you know, not just the path to the playoffs, but again, the I, I feel like senators fans, maybe Sabres fans. I don't think penguins fans. Certainly. I think Detroit fans, if you, if you held their feet to the fire and you said, you got to tell me the truth. You guys miss the playoffs, but you're in it right until game 82. Are you okay with that for this year? I feel like a lot of them will go, you know what? As long as we get some big playoff style yeah. game, you know, we can handle that. And then next year we'll have to take this. There's not going to be room necessarily for all of those teams. It, somebody's going to be out of it by February. And then holy smokes. Detroit never should have wind its way out of the Western conference. They'd be in third. They'd be the, at least the third best team in the West right now. Yeah. But then they'd have oh, to start wow. late and apparently they can't do that. That's that <laughs> right their bedtime. Yeah. yeah it's exactly. very difficult. It gets fending, fending off teams like Dallas, uh, Vegas and, and Vancouver in the West as well. And, and I mean, we don't have that much time left with you DGB, but the fact that those teams have started off really well, Colorado, Boston Colorado, and, yep. and, and, in Vegas as well. Yeah. I heard you saying with Boston, like the team that, yeah. that none of us wanted to touch. Nobody knew what was going on. Nope. Well, so far, I mean, uh, I mean, maybe some of us should have looked at the schedule and gone, oh, they don't actually play any good teams in, <laughs> until November. But hey, good, good starts, a good start. Yeah, they're looking good.
Good start. Uh, we'll look out for your weekend uh, rankings when they come out and uh, other great stuff uh, that I'm sure you have uh, just kind of hold, just hanging around the great big noggin of yours. Yeah, I got that pressure on me. Right. I know you do. Thanks so much for hanging out with us, man. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Right on. Thanks, guys. Uh, that was uh, DGB, Sean, uh, Sean McIndoe. Down goes Brown. Wow. Just English today. Failing me. Uh, we will have Rick Carpinello, uh, a big Rangers aficionado. He used to cover the Rangers for us here at The Athletic. He's going to talk about his new book. But before we get to Rick, uh, we will uh, have a message from uh, Chime. Uh, great uh, sponsor for this podcast. Let's hear from uh, Ian and myself uh, from the ad we did earlier this week on Chime. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It's time for us to get to our next guest. Uh, you may remember him if you're a Rangers fan, covering the Rangers for The Athletic. And he is the author of the franchise, New York Rangers, a curated history of the blue shirts. Rick Carpinello joins us here. On the Athletic Hockey Show, Rick, how you doing? Hey guys, good to uh, it's good to see you guys. Your faces again, and I'm repping my hat still. Yeah, and, uh, I lost that hat, that athletic hat. Like, you like can't I got it the man. day I got hired, I lost it. Yeah. It's just one of the saddest things ever. That oh, I lost that's that so sad. <laughs> really, it's, and it's such an honor to to follow Mr. Brown. Oh my gosh, that's a that's a, <laughs> big, that's a <laughs> <laughs> such a weird middle name his middle name is goes yeah. it goes it's kind of a he's, weird he's name. great though man he's great he's awesome he's I awesome to say like I, I don't think we've ever met in any capacity rick i think you might have either just left mm. the athletic around the time i got there at least we just kind of maybe we just crossed paths and just missed each other mm. uh but definitely uh from my early yeah. days just following the uh, the athletic just you were the guy when it came to new york rangers stuff and you have a great book uh, that we're going to talk about on the, on the podcast today. Just to start off, what made you want to write this book about the New York Rangers? Well, I always had it in the back of my mind. Um, I had done a couple of books about the Rangers early in my career and um, wasn't thrilled with either one of them. Um, you know, my Messier book was, uh, I had never done a book before, so I don't, I think I could have done a better job with it. And the, the other one was a season book and during a season that turned out to be a disaster. So, uh, I always had in the back of my mind that I that I wanted to do it again at some point. And then, you know, Triumph Books, uh, the publisher called me a number of times. Uh, they wanted to do this Rangers book. Actually, it wasn't this Rangers book. It was kind of a different idea, but, but we took it forward and it turned into this. Um, and so I didn't want to do it while I was still working because I wanted to really dedicate some time to it. And then when I retired, it, it just became a natural thing for me. And, and honestly... Uh, I probably could have written three times as many uh, words as I did with with the stories that I have remembered since the last time I since I finished writing it. Uh, 
but yeah, it, you know, it's something that I, I had a lot of anecdotes stuck in the back of my head for a lot of years. Um, toward the end of my career, I started typing them into a file so I wouldn't forget them. Like I forget where my keys are and where my car is. Oh and, uh, so, so I, you know, I decided that once I retired, it'd be a good time to, good time to try to do this. And, uh, it was a lot of fun. So Carp, obviously the Rangers have a long, long history. Did you focus on a specific area here, the area that you covered, or yeah. does this go all the way back? No, we talk a little bit about previous years, but it's mostly from 78, 79, which was my first season on the beat, uh, through my retirement. And, uh, so, you know, that's why they call it curated, I guess. I When they said it's going to be a curated history, I'm like, well, I'm not going back to Emil Francis and John Ferguson <laughs> and, and Lester. Hard Biden. to get those guys on the phone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, so, you know, I said, I really don't, you know, I'm not up for doing that kind of research. I'm, I, you know, I'll give you what I covered and you can call it whatever you want. But uh, they said, yeah, cur- that's what a curated history is. It, it's, you know, your version of the history of the teams. So I said, okay, great. So. So we started in 78, 79, when I was a 21-year-old or something, um, covering high school f- sports and, and getting a chance to cover the New York Rangers uh, and, and through the end of my career, which was uh, in, uh, November 21, I think it was. New- yeah, November 21. So um, that, that's the history. The history is, is those 43 years. Um, can you tell the story of how you ended up on the Rangers beat? Yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. I, I worked for a newspaper, uh, the Gannett newspapers in Westchester, which became the Journal News later on. But at that time, it was nine separate local newspapers uh, throughout the northern suburbs of New York City. And um, each one had its own dedicated local writer. Some had more than one. And uh, anyway, we became the prototype for USA Today. Uh, they decided to run it through our paper. So we started publishing a second paper in the morning. Uh, it was called uh, Today, and, it, and it, it was on peach-colored paper, so it was always reach for the peach. Anyway, they needed a bunch of writers to cover to, to fill in the sports section. So they gave each of us kids covering high school sports what they called an area of expertise. And uh, nobody wanted to do hockey. I was like, I'll do hockey. I, I love hockey. So, you know, I, I would have done anything, but, um, so each of us had a, had, had a beat, so to speak. Now, in other cases, there were other beat writers who were actually the main beat writers, but we were allowed to go to practices, go to home games, write short sidebars for the prototype. And then, uh, ultimately it turned to me, for me into the, into a full-time beat. Um, it was the luckiest break anybody could ever get. Um, and for a lot of us and, uh, it turned into a career. So one of, one of my favorite things early on in my, I started on the Hawks in 2013 was hanging around Bob Verde, who was kind of a contemporary of yours, covered the Blackhawks in <laughs> yeah. the eighties and the nineties, obviously for the Chicago Tribune and just hearing how different the job was back then yeah. pre-internet pre, uh, you know, just the, all the barriers that have been put up between players and reporters, uh, when you when you think back on those early years when he was kind of the Wild West in the seventies and eighties, how how different was the job? Not not the league, but the job. The the job was unbelievably different. Like first of all, it was a little easier too. Uh, let's not get past that because all you had to do was write your story for the newspaper. Um, yeah. Some of us at some times during my career didn't even have to write an early story, didn't have to write a running story, just 
file a story after the game with quotes and everything, one shot, you're out. And that was fun. You know, <laughs> that was pretty easy to do. Uh, the hard part was, A, you had to carry your typewriter to the game. Uh, there were a couple of guys in the press box who ran a telefax company who would take your story and fax it to your newspaper where somebody else would have to type it in um so uh you know and then and then came the really raw computers my first computer was called a teleram and it was probably 40 pounds at least 30 with a big metal handle. It was like a big metal suitcase. And you'd put that on your desk and every couple of sentences you'd have to hit record and so it would save so you wouldn't lose what you just typed. Oh and then you'd get God. a telephone and you'd plug it into the top of the, the top of this Teleram thing and it would make that screeching noise like while it's sending. <laughs> and then it would send and you'd have to call and make sure they got it and a lot of times they didn't get it and uh, so that was, those were the first days of technology, but I thought uh, this was supposed to be easier. What is this? <laughs> that, but that wasn't that hard. I mean, when you consider writing an early writing a running, doing a blog, doing po- pregame video, doing postgame video, tweeting throughout, uh, you know, all this new stuff that we didn't have back then, uh, you know, at the end of my career, my, my pre and postgame videos and my blog were 10 times more important than my game story. Yeah. And so, you know, things do change and things do get more difficult and more time consuming. How, but, how, uh, how, how different was the player reporter relationship? Well, like how was, easier was, like your wild. access to that? Yeah. First of all, first of all, my first team had John Davidson, Dave and Don Maloney, Ron Duguay, Ron Gresh. I mean, they're just characters, right? Mm-hmm. You, you couldn't make it up. And, and the players after a game, would sit in their uniform. Some would take their jerseys off, but they'd sit in their pads and their shorts in their locker for hours, drinking beer. They would borrow, they would bum cigarettes off me. I used to smoke. They <laughs> no would smoke way. cigarettes and drink beer in the locker room in their uniforms for half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour, depending on how the game went. And you could stay in there as long as you want. <laughs> so, it was different, um, you know, and, and the greatest thing to me was, you know, when guys work on their sticks before a game, they have that little carpentry station outside the locker room and blow torches and saws and all kinds of noisy equipment, spray paints. We were we had access to them during that time. And, <laughs> and that's where you develop friendships and relationships because you would just talk to the guys. You know, if you had a question for a story, they'd be happy to answer it. but you had their ear for all that time. And a lot of them were just looking to talk to people and relax before a game while they were doing their sticks. And, the, and was, you could, you, you could talk to them in the press box when they were scratches too, right? <laughs> well, that too. That's where you get the really good stuff. Uh, that, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, for sure. And guys weren't shy back then either to talk about, you know, their coach or their teammate or, yeah. you know, but it, it, it was compared to what it is now. It's, it was, you know, 180 degrees. Just going over your time covering the Rangers on the subject of relationships, who are some of the players throughout the history of of your time covering them that you developed the best relationships with? Well, if you look at the cover of my book, you could easily see two of them. Absolutely. (laughs) Brian Brian Leach has to be one of them. Yeah, I mean, he's done the forward to two of my books. 
um, and I haven't, I haven't been able to pay him a cent, and he didn't want a cent. So, <laughs> I mean that you know that speaks volumes right there. And Mike Richter wrote the uh, wrote a couple of blurbs for the book jacket, and Mike actually wanted to read the whole book first because he wouldn't say something that wasn't coming from his heart. So he did. He read the whole book before he would comment on the. But you know those are guys and Adam Graves who is the nicest person I've ever met. Not the nicest athlete, the nicest human being I've ever met. Uh, you know, and guys like that. And I still have great relationships with JD and the Maloney's and, and all the way down the line. Um, but yeah, I would, I would have to say of the guys that I really keep in touch with, I text with all the time. Uh, number two in, in the hall of fame defenseman is, uh, is probably right up there. It's funny. I, I grew up on Long Island as a diehard Islanders fan. I hated the Rangers more than like, anything in the world. Like just vitriol I felt for them. When they won the yeah. cup in 94, is like the darkest day of my life. And I hated <laughs> Brian Leach so much. I despised Brian Leach. Yeah. And then last year I was doing a story on guys getting traded very late in their career after spending their whole career with one team. It was a Kane and Tave story. I'm like, oh, Brian Leach, perfect example. I'll get him on the phone. He was so nice. Yeah. He broke down in tears twice talking about how much he loved the Rangers yeah. and how hard he was so emotionally honest. I'm like, I hung up and I texted my dad. I go, God damn it. I like Brian Leach yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's great. And you know what? That, and that really did break his heart. That was his birthday too. Yeah, he yeah. Crazy. He told me that. He oh. said he was in the hotel in Boston it's and awful. he went into the bathroom. And he just started crying. It was awful. And, uh, and, and Glenn didn't tell him. And he told yeah. he made it very clear to Glenn Sather that he didn't want to be traded. So yeah, that was a really hard time for him. But uh, but he's a tremendous guy, and and he doesn't think he was that good. Like when you guys did the uh, the rankings last year, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, ninety nine. You know, and I I so I talked to him about you know where he was ranked and stuff, and he's like he was like yeah I was pretty surprised, Carp. Were you? I'm like yeah, I'm a little surprised. He goes, and then he said he's surprised that he was that high. Like <laughs> he was surprised mess was so low and that he was that high. So like, that's Brian. And we had him at number 30 for what it's worth. It's <laughs> yeah. Good. yeah. It's really well, good. So, so we did, uh, um, we did a story just before I left about Adam Fox. Cause he was about to win the Norris trophy that year. And Brian talked about him. Like there's no question. Adam Fox was better than he was. And I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he wasn't, <laughs> he's not there. Maybe someday he'll dream to be. But you know, Brian's a, Brian was an all-time great who didn't think he was an all-time great. Uh, so uh, he's a different kind of he's a different kind of human being, boy. And he's he's just so loyal to to the people he was loyal to. And uh, if he wasn't loyal to you, you'd never know it by talking to him. Is there is there an anecdote from your book uh, that you enjoyed writing about more than any of the of the other ones you wrote about? Um, the, the one that I did, and, I, and, I, and it stemmed from a story I, I wrote for The Athletic was, you know, one of the great ones was uh, Don Maloney, who was the assistant GM at the time, talking about what was going on at the draft table in Calgary the day they got Henrik Lundqvist in the seventh round. And, you know, the, the arguments they had over whether they should take that pick, make the goalie pick. They already, they already drafted a goalie named Brandon Snee. They were looking for a guy who's going to ultimately replace Mike Richter. And uh, the argument going on back and forth at that draft table in the seventh round <laughs> to take this, this uh, goalie from Sweden that they didn't really know. Christo Rockstrom, the European scout, knew him and was pushing for him, but wasn't pushing really hard. 
Uh, and then they thought they heard that Dallas was going to take Lundquist to pair him with his brother, Joel, his twin brother, Joel, who they had drafted early. And uh, they decided to, to dra- take a, take a flyer on Henrik Lundquist. And that, that turned out pretty well. Um, and some of my other favorite stories were, you know, quick shots, like uh, the night that Barry Beck came flying out of the shower, singing the kinks version of Superman wearing a blue towel around his neck, goggles, cowboy boots, and nothing else. Oh. And he's <laughs> dancing around the locker room. <laughs> and it was as disturbing as it was hilarious. Uh, but, you know, and Beck was a character too. So, you know, those types of stories were, were kind of my favorites to get out there. And the ones that I, you know, I always wish that I could have told people. And now I finally had an avenue to tell it. Was it all off the top of your head, or did you do any fresh reporting on this? Do you have to call people up, or just this just institutional knowledge? I, That's it, incredible. Right? I mean, I did a lot of, you know, back reading into my stories and my notes and my things, but I didn't really, per se, um, make long phone calls to uh, to get new stuff. That's it's, amazing. It's, That's it's cool. things that yeah, and and you know, the book's been written basically for almost a year now. And in that year, I'm thinking, oh, I should have should have told that story. I should have, you know. So, uh, but yeah, it, it's it's top of my head. And fortunately, I wrote it when I did because this head is really. That's what I'm saying. I don't remember anything that happened like like three seasons <laughs> yeah, ago anymore. It's yeah, all gone. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't tell you stuff that happened during regular seasons, or if you ask me, you know, what the Rangers did in the '87 playoffs. I, I have no idea. I have no idea. But I, I remember 85, 86 for sure. Um, the, the Ted Sater year, and they went to the Eastern Finals. I can remember a lot about that. But um, but my brain's got a lot of stuff stored away in different envelopes, apparently. And uh, <laughs> I, I was able to find some of them. Can you describe your favorite Rangers moment to cover? I, I can imagine, and unfortunately, it might uh, it might make Mark angry. Trigger warning for me. Yeah. Well, well, well Mark, it, it wasn't the first round of 93 fight, 94 playoffs. I'm going to take, take my headphones out right now. <laughs> He's going to walk out. That, uh, six that, love, six love. I remember that. I was oh there for one. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that was just a wipeout. And there were people who thought they're going to be in trouble with this Islanders team, they, they, uh, you know, because they struggled with them in Nassau Coliseum up until that year. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, obviously – those those three those four games actually in the playoffs the game six Messier's game six Matteau's game seven and, and I and I have a really good story in there about Matteau and and how uh, he had a hard time handling his celebrity and his status as an absolute franchise hero after that game seven um, because he only he played less than two seasons as a Ranger. And oh, here he and he's okay. up on still he's with us here. On. There we go. We got him. Sorry. You okay? Can oh, you sorry. Me? All good. You keep going. We got okay. you back. So he was absolutely on a pedestal after scoring that goal. I mean, you know, Matteau is like one of the all-time franchise icons, and he had a hard time handling that. And then, and then going forward, obviously, the game in which Richter stopped the Pavel Bory uh, penalty yeah. shot, and we went into that at great length in the book, and and then of course. Game seven, after all the chaos, the Mike Keenan chaos, the, uh, the you know, losing game five and six in Vancouver, 
and come having to come back. And Mike Keenan wanted to take the team to Lake Placid for a practice just to get away from the media. And Messier and and Kevin Lowe had to talk him out of it. And you know, there's so much around those four great games, and then there were other games too. But those four unbelievable, unforgettable games, um, the chaos around that team, and the, and the the near sabotaging by by Keenan uh, of that series of both. I love how so many franchises have a Mike Keenan story, you know? (laughs) Yeah. That's so weird how that is. (laughs) Most of them are the same, except only one of them ends with the the trophy, but even the one that ends with the trophy, he's negotiating his way out of town despite (laughs) four more years left on his contract. So they're all, they all have some sort of that, uh, that element to them. But hey, but full credit to him, right? I mean, how He's many good other, small doses? How many other coaches in nineteen in the last eighty three years have won Stanley Cup for the New York Rangers? Likewise, how many GMs? Poor Neil Smith can't even get a job in the league, and uh, you know he, he did the unthinkable. So, uh, but yeah, those are obviously standout moments in during those last two rounds of playoffs. Rick, uh, thank you so much for hanging out with us here on the Athletic Hockey Show. He's the author of The Franchise, New York Rangers, A Curated History of the Blue Shirts. It's out now wherever books are sold. It's a great read. Uh, Probably a good Christmas present. We're coming up on uh, Christmas time. So I'm sure uh, Rangers fans, if you want that book, go get it. Rick, thank you so much for this. This was really fun. Guys, Great to see thanks you, Tarp. Yeah, likewise. Keep, thanks keep, for keep calling me. the gambling guy schmucks on Twitter. It makes me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> but those are only reposts. Those are not- <laughs> thanks, guys. Appreciate your Take help. Take care, Rick. Take, Take care. Good to see you. Rick Carpinello uh, used to cover the Rangers for us here at the Athletic, here on the Athletic Hockey Show. We're moments away from reaching the full hour. We still have a ton of topics we got to get to, Mark. Let's kind of do this a bit of a in a rapid fire way, if we can. Uh, let's start off with uh, a debacle that uh, we've talked a lot about on the show. You've written about, Ian's written about the Pride Tape debacle. Uh, Travis Dermott uh, was uh, obviously brave enough to defy the law uh, over the weekend. We've now seen it uh, changed uh, through this week. And uh, he's spoken about it to, to Chris Johnston. Uh, Eric Stevens also caught up with him as well. Uh, Matt Dumba had some really interesting comments to say uh, about that, too. Uh, they follow and try to save face. Yep. Uh, not uh, not happy about how that was handled. I would love to know your thoughts on 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 how this has kind of unfurled to this point uh, in the year. Well, I wrote a whole column on it yesterday, but it really comes yes. down to just what the hell did they think was going to happen? <laughs> Like it's it's just this is such a self inflicted wound. I I keep calling it a sideshow Bob rake step because it's just it's so dumb. From the moment they announced this, we were all like, everybody should just use the tape anyway. And then what are they going to do about it? They couldn't punish them. They couldn't ignore it because they would have looked weak. Like it, 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 this was so dumb from the very start. So short sighted. So ill thought of or not thought of at all. I mean, I'm glad they did the right thing, but they get absolutely no credit for it whatsoever. By the way, the full quote from Matt Dumba, uh, yeah, why did it even need to be? Why is it even a thing? Why do they have to do that in the first place? You'll never get the answers from them. You'll never get the answers for that. That's just something I've come to understand. They don't have answers for a lot of things that they do. They follow and try to save face. And just, nailed it. Yeah, he, he really nailed it. I And look, I have to give props to the players who have spoken out against it and 
have used their platforms to do so because we typically think of hockey players as guys who are a little bit more reserved. And there were players who expressed disappointment in all of this, but ultimately did not want to rock the boat, which right. makes what Travis Dermott did all the more impressive. Well, that's that's what I was. I wanted to say this because last year, you know, I've written a lot about this topic and it's almost always negative, right? It's always, always bashing the league. And I wanted to do something positive. I wanted yeah. to write a story about guys in the NHL that are doing things uh, that are being actually proactive and not just performative in the community. And so I talked to a lot of people and they gave me a whole list of names, like 35 NHL players that are, you know, behind the scenes, actively doing things that are not making a big show of it, but they're, they're doing things. Mm -hmm. I call, I think seven different teams up requesting players. I got turned down by every single one of them. Nobody wanted to talk about it on the record because it was such a hot button issue. It's very hockey. So I'm encouraged that now people are talking about it. And maybe if I wanted to do that story this year, people would talk. Travis Dermott was one of those guys. He was yeah. injured at the time, I think, uh, and, he, and, and, and he declined the request politely. But nobody wanted to talk even about a, a story I was framing as, look, I want to write a positive story here. So I'm hoping that this is kind of the dam bursting on guys saying, you know what, the hell with it. I'm going to speak my mind no matter what. I really I like that's that. what this is. I like that because it was very easy for a lot of people to say that, especially when the Ivan Provorov stuff was going on, that, you know, at least going off of the eggs you see on Twitter or X, wherever you want to call it, that we as the media people, we only wanted to focus on the negative stuff. I don't think that's completely true. It's Not very difficult for us to go away from a story like that, considering how players want to. There's be not a lot positive out there. Yeah, like it's the story to talk about. I know we've talked about it a lot on this platform, but I'm glad we were able to at least, you know, cut aside some moments in order to to bring it up. There are a few other topics we want to get to before we get to the end of the hour here. Uh, the Ottawa Senators. Uh, I know we got to touch off on them a little bit with DGB. Uh, Craig Anderson signed a one day contract to retire as an Ottawa Senator. I uh, spent Chicago's some great years own. there. Chicago. Yes. Spent a lot of time with some different teams there. Uh, any thoughts on, on Craig Anderson, uh, getting the one day, uh, retirement. I love that. I love when team, I love when players do that. Like I, I love when they do it because you can tell what it means to the player that they're going through the motions. Like on the surface, it's so silly, right? Like Marion Hosa did this with the Blackhawks. It's, it's really silly. It means nothing, but you can tell to the players like, no, God damn it. I'm retiring a whatever player, whatever team that is. And I, yes. I like that. It shows a human side of these guys that they really do care that it really does mean something to them that they're willing to go through what theoretically should be really an embarrassing process because it means that much to them. I like that. Good for Kurt. It even had like a, a ceremonial face-off with goalies. Yeah. You know? yeah. that, I like that. Ottawa handled right. it beautifully. I, I, I was really happy for Anderson. Guys were wearing the shirts and stuff. Like, you know you've reached a certain point of respect and venerability in the league when guys are wearing T-shirts with your name and face on it, right? Absolutely. And that was the only thing that was noteworthy involving a goaltender for the Ottawa Senators that <laughs> night. <laughs> oh, Anton. Poor Anton. Yo, shout out to producer Jeff or, or producer Danielle for putting that crawl about Travis Habedick just as I made that joke. That is brilliant timing. Yes. Why did Travis Habedick have to tell Anton Forsberg? that he wasn't played the third period. I typically think that's like a that's like a coach thing. They go to the goalie and say, hey, man, we're going with the backup. That's it. Why did it have to get to a point where Travis Habnick had to do it? Like, that is, that's a bit weird. The real question here is why did Jonas Corposalo not lead the team out? Why would, he must have been told he was playing, right? Like, if Travis Habnick knew, then Corposalo had to know. Why wasn't he in the crease anyway? Like, why was Forsberg there? Did, did, For, did Corposalo see Forsberg go out there and be like, oh, maybe I misheard it? Like, this is one of the weirdest 
stupidest things I've seen in a long time. And uh, what we have here is a failure to communicate. Yeah, you can't have those, especially with an Ottawa Senators team that is uh, not doing too good. And it just embarrasses the guy. Like, the poor guy had to, like, make this walk of shame afterward. Like, it's one thing to get pulled in a game. That sucks. But to be like, it's like, oh, I thought I was going to play. Oh, oh, okay, I'll leave now. That it's it's just embarrassing. I feel really bad for Forsberg. I feel bad for him too. Uh, let's go from uh, the Ottawa Senators to uh, the province of Alberta. Uh, we know the uh, the Edmonton Oilers and the uh, Calgary Flames will be playing against each other in the Heritage Classic over the weekend. Uh, Rasmus Anderson is not going to be there because of a very dangerous hit that he put on Patrick Laine. The four game suspension he was given uh, has since been upheld. Uh, they tried to appeal it. Uh, Gary Bettman said, nah, bruh, that was pretty dangerous. You're missing the Heritage Classic. Uh, and then Connor McDavid on the other side uh, hurt over the weekend, last weekend, and he should, should be out for up to one or two weeks. It Maybe, balances out, right? That's about the yeah, same. Exact, sort of, you know, a little bit. <laughs> Uh, Connor McDavid, there's a chance maybe he tries to return for the for the Don't. Heritage Classic. I'm not. I'm not holding my breath for this. If it, I don't if want anyone, him to, I don't know, man. Like if, if you're Dude, gonna, it, put, it's I'm more. Gonna get it. it this these out there's so I, I, outdoor games are super fun to go to. On TV, they're terrible. Like they're they're only fun to experience. So I don't give a crap if I'm not an outdoor game. I really don't care about it unless it's like the Tahoe game, which was kind of cool. So yeah. I just want Connor McDavid to play as many games as possible, and I would hate to see him risk being out longer because he rushed to come back from an injury for an outdoor regular season game. It's a regular season game. I know these guys like playing it. I get it. And the options are uh, that you get fewer opportunities if you don't play in Boston, Chicago, or Pittsburgh. I get it. But man, I just don't want to see him risk re-aggravating something because he rushed to get back for what's essentially a meaningless outdoor game. I mean, there is that, but if you're the league and you're looking at the uh, handful of oh, the league probably wants to inject him with every chemical possible to get him out. Absolutely, Steve Bear in Varsity Blues. I mean, yeah, sure, absolutely, yeah. But if you, if you, I don't know if you've seen on at least on Ticketmaster, I had it up in front of me here. There are full rows empty at Commonwealth Stadium, uh, still available to be purchased in terms of tickets ahead of Sunday. I've been saying this all along. I tweeted to you yesterday about, I just don't think Canada is a good hockey market. They need to move these teams (laughs) south. I hear Atlanta is looking for a team. Maybe maybe the Flames in Atlanta, maybe it could work. I don't know. But clearly, hockey, Winnipeg, there's nobody in the building. Calgary, you said everybody wasn't showing up. I'm just saying, I think we've experimented long enough, and I don't think it's going to work out in Canada. I think you're causing way too much trouble on all of this, Mark. This is this is a bit too much here. But I will say this, though, and, and I'm sure we'll hear more uh, tomorrow when they have the media availability ahead of the Heritage Classic. But the fact that we're not seeing uh, like a full sellout, I mean, that's that's got to be some kind of concern. But also the fact that Connor's not going to be playing. And, I mean, Rasmus Anderson as well, to a certain extent, uh, will, will hurt, too. But definitely Connor McDavid, the best player in the world, not being able to play in this outdoor game. This is going to be my first outdoor game. And I, I selfishly kind of want to see it happen, but I also understand that vantage point too. It's a regular season game, and yeah. you need him at his best, especially for their ultimate goals. You don't need to rush him for a meaningless regular season game. Yeah, I, I just it, it's I, I it's it, it's for the only people the outdoor game matters to are the people in the stadium, and I just hope that Connor McDavid doesn't do something stupid here for a, for you know uh, an essentially regular season meaningless game. Exactly. Anyway, uh, that's going to do it for the Wednesday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Mark, thank you so much for tapping in for Ian Mendez, as you normally do. 
It's always a fun time whenever we do these shows together. So I was really happy that uh, we were able to do it again, especially on live for everybody. I know this is like a new thing. Like I'm always worried I'm going to say something stupid and never be able to take it back. Oh no! Don't worry about this is, that. I'm not like I said at the beginning. I am not polished or professional. This is a huge risk the company is taking every time they put me on anything live. Well, nothing's been destroyed as of yet. Yet, come back the next time. <laughs> uh, Thursday tomorrow, uh, the uh, the athletic hockey show. Uh, we're passing the baton over to Haley Salvian, Max Boltman, and Sean Gentili. Uh, they'll be hosting the Thursday show. Thank you so much for listening to the athletic hockey show. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Leave a rating and review. We would very much appreciate it. Follow us on YouTube, youtube.com slash at the athletic hockey show. And if you have any questions for us, uh, just send us something for our mailbag, the athletic hockey show at gmail.com. We also take voice messages, 845-445-8459. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, Haley, Max, and Sean will be back tomorrow. Peace.